three. You're listening to Sports Talk Chicago with your host, John Zaglul. John, I am fantastic. Thank you for having me. You got an awesome voice, man, and that was a terrific <laughs> intro. You're like a pro's pro. You know, that was the first time somebody ever said that, John. No, you're the first person to ever say anything like that. That's, that's very interesting. You got it, John. Anything for a fellow Chicago guy? <laughs> well, what a great question. That's a great question. Nobody's actually asked me that. <laughs> I like it. What a great question. I never heard that before. Chase, wait, wait, Chase Utley is what? You're saying he's not a Hall of Fame candidate? You know, it's it's funny. I, I, You may be the only person that I've heard make that connection. Thank you, John, for having me. I'm doing great. By the way, you have an outstanding voice. I'm not sure about your face because I haven't met you, but your voice is great. You're doing a much better job than I ever did. You've had some heavy hitters uh, guests on too, man, so keep up the good work, but it's good to be with you, and I'm ready to talk sports. Hello, everybody, and welcome in to Sports on Chicago. My name's John Zaglul. Great to have you here. Today's edition of the program, will the Bears bring back Akeem Hicks? There have been some rumors. We'll break them all down in just a second. Plus, a brand new interview today with Pat Boyle, the Blackhawks pre- and post-game host on NBC Sports Chicago. Talk with them extensively about the Blackhawks season, who their next head coach might be, and so much more. It's a great interview, and it comes your way near the midway point of this show. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports and on Facebook at John Zagluel. You can watch more of this show. Search up Sports Talk Chicago, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, SportstalkChicago.com. Want to start today? With this. History may be deceiving. No, I'm not saying things are falsified or everything we know is a lie. Could be, but probably not. What I am saying, though, is that if you judge somebody based on history and history alone, you'll never see the full picture. Take the Cubs, for example. The Cubs signed Andrelton Simmons, Jonathan Biyar, tons of veterans who were great in 2015. We all know they're in a rebuild, retool. They brought in names who had good seasons with the hope that maybe they'd rekindle that magic, that fire. Didn't work. <laughs> Could have told you that when a mile away. It would have been nice, I understand the thought process behind it, but at the end of the day, we're talking about six or seven years ago. They were great in 2015, B.R., Simmons, but today, not so much. And the Cubs can't be judging them based on their 2015 performance. It isn't 2015 anymore. 2022. See what I mean? History can be deceiving. In the Bears case, for Akeem Hicks, it's kind of a similar situation. There was a report yesterday saying that the Bears could bring him back. Akeem Hicks may want to come back. I don't buy it for sure, but here's what I do know logically about the entire situation. Kim Hicks last year made $10 million. And this year he's going to be 33 years old. Oh yeah, he has an injury history too. I love Akeem Hicks. I think he's been very good in a Bears uniform. Certainly hasn't been a ripoff or a bust. He's been worth, for the most part, the money that he's been paid, with the exception of injuries. He's productive. He's a good team guy. 
Eight and a half sacks, 2017. Seven and a half, 2018. Made the Pro Bowl that year's first ever. But in 2019 and this past year, he hasn't played every game. Injuries have really set in as he gets older. At the same time, when he did play, he wasn't as productive as he once was. Look, if I'm Brian Poles, and I'm inheriting a brand new team, and I'm trying to save money cap-wise, I'm already dead cap at around $50 million, trying to save money. Would it even make sense to entertain Akeem Hicks returning, even if he wanted to? You would have to significantly lowball him to make it work budget-wise. Let alone, would he even accept it? Probably not, after coming off a $10 million a year for playing nine games. That's according to Track. And herein lies the conundrum that people don't want to talk about. Sports are a business. There are business decisions that are going to have to be made. And Akeem Hicks may be a fan favorite, but guess what? I wouldn't pay a 33-year-old defensive lineman $10 million to return. When I know I already have $50 million in dead cap sitting around. And I love Akeem Hicks. I think he's a talented football player. But does this fit Ryan Poles' mold, number one? Would Akeem Hicks even want to return, number two? And does this help out the Bears' plan today and even tomorrow? The answer to all three of those questions, unfortunately, is no. But the idea that he may come back or the rumor that's being spread is 100% false. Logistically, it makes no sense. It hurts to say it. This is one of those situations where it actually hurts me, truthfully. He's a good player. I wouldn't mind keeping him around. But the price is not going to be good. It's not going to help out the team. It's going to set the Bears back even more. Any Cubs fans here? Remember 2006? Remember when the Cubs traded Greg Maddox? I do. Traded him. Greg Maddox, Hall of Famer. Now I get it. He was 40 years old, definitely past his prime, but still a serviceable pitcher. Thrown 200 innings at 40 years old. 16-11 record. 3.96 ERA in the steroid era. Not bad. And I remember watching that game, that broadcast. They brought him up mid-game in the booth and gave him a goodbye because they traded him to the Dodgers at the time. And I remember what Len Casper and Bob Brendley said on that broadcast. Jim Hendry was there too. This was purely a business decision. This had nothing to do with hard feelings or bad performance. Craig Maddox meant so much to the Cubs organization. His numbers were tired. But at the end of the day, that team went 66-96 and 96 with Dusty Baker. They needed prospects. They needed something. And there was no reason to keep Craig Maddox around on a crappy team when he could have gone to play for L.A. and then eventually the San Diego Padres and make a difference. Even that late in his career, it hurt to see him go. It hurt to watch them trade him. Even at six years old, I remember this. That Greg Maddox was going to be gone. But you know what? I understood the move. My dad explained it to me. Then I understood. It made sense. The team sucked. Total trash heap. (laughs) They had nothing to look forward to, really. And the next year, they won the division. year after that, won the division again. Meanwhile, Maddox pitched for a couple of more years in L.A. and then in San Diego. Did well. Helped them out, too, in the playoffs. 
It was mutually beneficial. There were no hard feelings. There was no, oh, he's being forced out. No. The whole thing was mutually beneficial. Everybody won, and everybody moved on. And today, there are no hard feelings. Greg Maddox's number is hanging on the foul pole. Find a way as a plaque. That's kind of the same thing here with the Keem Hicks. Keem Hicks may not be as big a legend as Greg Maddox, but the whole sentiment's the same. I love Akeem Hicks. I really do. I think he embodied a lot of this era for Bears football. I mean, you watched the Bears in 2016, 2017, even in those dark days with John Fox, you did see Akeem Hicks, and he played pretty damn well. And when they started winning, Hicks was still a part of the team and actually contributed. He defined an era in Bears history, no question. I never want to take that away from him. But when we talk logistics, when we talk money, which is what the NFL is, what the Bears are, their business, is it feasible? Look, if Hicks is willing to play for a million dollars, two million dollars, I'd do it. But then that'd be a disservice to him. That'd be insulting to him. Hicks posted yesterday a picture of him sacking a Packers player. I think it was Aaron Rodgers. As a memory. Everybody thought, well, maybe he wants to come home. He may want to come home, but for the right price. And the Bears can't offer it. Or they could, but technically they'd be stupid to do it. Let's just be frank here. They'd be stupid to offer a 33-year-old defensive lineman with injury troubles... $10 $10 million to stay. Then you have $50 million already in dead cap space. It wouldn't make sense. This is why sometimes social media gets out of control. And I know I'm a hypocrite. I'm on social media all the time, but seriously. I'm not going to interpret a post by Akeem Hicks missing sacking Packers players as a means of him wanting to return. <laughs> Logistically. If you know anything about business, it won't happen. What doesn't make sense? Won't work. I love Akeem Hicks, but it's not going to happen. It can't. Unless for some reason he's willing to accept $1 million next year, $2 million. There's just no way I see this happening. The Bears do need some defensive line help for sure, but that's not the top of the list. And I wish all the best for Akeem, truthfully. I hope he latches on somewhere and actually wins. That's what I want for him. That's what I said about Allen Robinson, too. And sure enough, he went to the Rams. I hope for Akeem's sake, he goes somewhere where not only he could contribute, but he can actually freaking win and stop dealing with this mediocrity and different coaches and drama. I hope he goes somewhere where he's actually going to be valued, treated well, and could be in position for a Super Bowl. Who wouldn't want that? He's never won one. He started in New Orleans too late. That's my hope for him. And it's entirely possible, too. I really hope it works out. But the idea that he'll come back here is, unfortunately, Bears fans, a little bit ludicrous. And that's not even an insult to him or to anybody. It's just the fact of the matter. When we're talking business, it makes no fiscal sense. Salary's gone up every year. He was only making $7 million back in 2017. 
His pants gear, 10.4 million. $10.4 million, $12 million cap hit last year. Now he's an unrestricted free agent. He's going to want something similar to that if he came back here. If not, at least the same salary. What do you think? Do you think it's smart to pay Akeem Hicks, who's 33 years old, a $10 million contract to play 10 games, maybe, with injuries? I don't think so. And that's not a personal attack or a knock on him. It's just the truth. The truth is it wouldn't be worth it. That doesn't mean he's a bad player or a bad man or bad for the team. It just means it's not worth $10 million. $1 million? 100%. $2 million? Maybe. Ten? When you're already in cap trouble? No. That's why I didn't get people spreading this rumor yesterday that maybe he'll return. Maybe they'll bring him back. How? Show me the money. <laughs> Where's the money for it? Fair question. Matt said, very grateful for what Akeem Hicks did here in Chicago. And it's unfortunate that it had to end like this. But then again, both parties are in different places. The Bears are rebuilding. They have dead cap. They're not spending a lot of money. And Akeem Hicks is 33, injury-prone, and probably wants money. At least $10 million. Maybe nine. That's about it. Hicks said on Twitter, quote, I didn't mean to get your hopes up. Exactly. People actually believed he was going to come back. I don't know how that's even possible. That'd be an insult to him and an insult to the Bears. Both parties would lose in that situation. Again, think of Greg Maddox and the Cubs and 2006. That's the best situation at least I can compare it to. But I think first got first reaction. That. Greg Maddox was still semi-productive. He was older. He was on a contract year. The Cubs were 66 and 96 and clearly rebuilding and getting rid of salary. Dodgers needed him. Needed a pincher. They traded him. But still, they didn't dishonor him. They didn't disrespect him. They purposefully said, this is not disrespectful. We are still happy with Greg. And Greg said the same thing. And it all worked out at the end of the day. Greg Maddox is a Hall of Famer. His number is hanging at Wrigley Field. The Cubs ended up winning the year after. And Greg pitched for a couple of years in serious situations. Postseason-esque situations in L.A. and San Diego. It worked out. It was great. Sure, if you ask Greg Maddox after 2006, when he was a free agent, would you come back to Chicago? The answer would be no. He'd say, I need to get paid. Cubs can't pay him. Or they weren't willing to pay him at that point. And who would? 41-year-old pitcher? Throwing 85 miles per hour? Probably not worth it. It's not Greg Maddox who's 20. It's Greg Maddox who's 40. It's not Akeem Hicks who's 25-26. It's Akeem Hicks with an injury history who's 33 making $10 million. See how similar these situations are? Parallel. That's why it makes sense as to why he wouldn't come back and why this speculation was just that, speculation. Good reminder for all of you who get your Bears news or any news, read through the lines sometimes, especially when it comes to speculation versus report or real news. This was pure speculation. 
And it got to the point where it was so rampant that Akeem Hicks had to clear it up himself. But even when I saw this news yesterday, I thought to myself, there's no way he's coming back. <laughs> there's just no way. Logistically, money-wise, for his own sake, none of it made sense. None of it came back to Chicago. Always pointed away from the Bears. So just a reminder, next time you hear about a Bears story or any other story, whatever it is, doesn't even have to be sports, check. Don't just go off of speculation, because at the end of the day, speculation could be very wrong. And it was here, and Keem Hicks proved it. More to come here on Sports Talk Chicago. My interview with Pat Boyle comes up next, so stay tuned. Hawks Chicago. Here for John Zaglorland, we are back and ready for today's special guest. He's the host of the Blackhawks Talk podcast, ESPN 1000 Hockey Show, and Blackhawks pre- and post-game coverage on NBC Sports Chicago. Please welcome Pat Boyle to the program. Pat, great to have you on. How are you? John, great to be on with you once again, and uh, congrats on uh, all the success with the show. Thank you so much, Pat. Really great to have you on. What do you make of the Hawks' tumultuous season, first off? I've been doing this, you know, in this business for 30 years. This is my 30th year. This is my 11th covering the Blackhawks in the role that I'm in as the pre-post host. It's by far the most difficult I've ever had to deal with, with everything that uh, went on off the ice, which of course was, you know, just, just tragic as, as the, the details became available to us through the the report and then what happened on the ice and the changes that were made in the front office and behind the bench. Uh, and then the product on the ice, you put it all together, a very eventful year, a very difficult year. I guess if, if I'm looking at some of the silver lining on the back end of it, I do believe there's finally a plan uh, for this team to get back to where we're accustomed to seeing them. And that's back in the Stanley cup playoffs competing for the Stanley cup. Uh, I think they've been meandering, to say the least, over the last four or five years. And I think now under Kyle Davidson's leadership, there's a plan. And we'll see if that plan can uh, produce championships. What is that plan? Well, the plan is a rebuild. And, and you know, it's, it's the word that nobody wants to use. Uh, you know, maybe they don't want to use it at, at Hallis Hall. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's reality. And, and it's. You know, some of it is the byproduct of going for it when you were trying to keep that dynasty going, winning the three cups in six years. You give up some number one picks along the way to add some players uh, to to make that Stanley Cup playoff run. You uh, you lose players in a draft like uh, that you drafted in the first round, like Philip Deneau, who would be great in, in a Blackhawks jersey right now who's uh, in, in a top six role with the LA Kings and played great for Montreal uh, the last couple of years. You give up him uh, and a second round pick for two guys, uh, Weiss and Fleischman at the trade deadline who barely played for the Blackhawks. Didn't work out at the time you say they're going for it, uh, but th those players are no longer in your system and uh, things might be different. We're talking differently if you didn't have to lose those. So, so some of this is a byproduct of going for it. Some of it is, bottom line, not great drafting. At the end of the day, 
the draft where they take Adam Boquist and uh, and um, and Bodan, Nicholas Bodan in the first round, two kind of undersized defensemen. They've moved on from Boquist. Bodan is still in Rockford. You know, are those misses? Well, if you, you said goodbye to one of them already and, and we haven't seen the other yet play much in the National Hockey League, you know, the jury's still out on that. So some of it is is the lack of decision of going for it and going for it. And in the last few years, we've heard rebuild, we've heard retool, and then we've seen things like going getting Seth Jones and Marc-Andre Fleury would don't signal, <laughs> signal a, a rebuild at all. So I think under Kyle Davidson, you've got a young general manager thinks outside the box, and we can get into some of that as well. I think this addition of Jeff Greenberg from the Cubs which on paper sounds crazy somewhat, uh, but when you hear the reasoning behind it, it it makes a lot of sense. What do you think Stan Bowman thought about before this season? Because as you mentioned, they kind of went all in and then it ended the way it did. How, how do you think that even happened? Well, I, I think he was GMing for his job. I, I, I don't think it's unlike what Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy were probably doing in their final year in Chicago. You you know, that's the when 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 an organization sticks with a, a a a regime, a front office, or a coach for that extra year, it doesn't just affect that immediate year. It affects years after because you know deals were made uh, in their final year to go for it. They realize that they're they're under the gun, so to speak, and they need to get in the playoffs and they need to produce, or they're going to be looking for work. And so I, I think in Stan's case, you know, he, he saw a, a, a number one defenseman be available in Seth Jones. And let's be honest, those aren't plentiful in the National Hockey League. Now, how great of a number one defenseman, we can debate that a little bit. I don't think he's elite, but I think Seth Jones is in that next tier. Now you can debate how much do you give up for it? I had an issue with the Hawks swapping their first round pick with Columbus in, in, in the first round of last summer's draft. That would have kept them in a 10 to 12 spot in the draft. And there were two uh, first round goaltenders that were slotted to go in that space. And they ended up going in, in there. And that could have been your goalie for the future. Uh, so swapping those first picks with, uh, with Columbus made the Blackhawks pick at the end of the first round. And they ended up, uh, you know, taking uh, a player that, that many had projected to go in the second. So, you know, I, to me, it was Stan, you know, who was GMing for his job, Mark Andre Fleury coming off a of Vesna trophy uh, season. You know, if you are truly in a rebuild and the year prior, you said, we're going to let the kids play. We're going to let Delia and Lankin and, you know, battle for this and figure it out. It, and, and you said goodbye to Corey Crawford and you said goodbye to Robin Leonard. It doesn't make a ton of sense to go get Marc-Andre Fleury. And then, oh, by the way, it really just camouflages the, the, the bevy of issues that this team has. Because even with great goaltending for a majority of the season under Marc-Andre Fleury, they still finished with the sixth worst, worst record in the NHL. Why is the defense so bad for the Hawks? Well, 
part of it has been, I think, the defensive system that they've been playing the last few years. And under Joel Quenville, they played a more zone coverage. And simply put, there's usually a defenseman that's always in front of the net. The other defenseman is uh, released to go to the side where the puck is. And you, you protect the house. You protect the prime real estate in front of, of the goaltender. Under Jeremy Colleton, he played a man-on-man. He called it a man-on-man-and-a-half system. And to put that simply to the audience, it's, it's basically covering a player and sorting as you go about it. But the problem is players don't, like in, in, in football, they'll run a route and you're on a man-to-man throughout. Well, as a, as a forward makes his way through the zone, he may go to the corner. He may go below the goal line. He may come out to the blue line. All of a sudden, if you're a defenseman who picks up a winger who was in prime real estate but now works his way below the goal line or out to the blue line, when do you release him? When do you stop following? When you know, and then you're vacating this prime real estate. So if you remember the last couple of years, uh, they were allowing so many high danger chances, so many slot chances because of the problems with the man-on-man system. So now you ask, well, okay, why didn't they adjust? You know, part of it was, I think, like the Seabrooks and the Duncan Keiths had been doing, they'd been defending a certain way for, you know, 12 years under Joel Quenville, and they were used to Joel's uh, system. So then this new system comes in, and it takes some time to getting used to Oh, those players move on, you know, and then you look at, do we have the players that can skate and play this man on man and a half? Because roughly half to, to two thirds of the league uh, plays this as somewhat of a version of the man on man and a half. Uh, and then when Derek King took over, he said enough is enough. Uh, it's not working. <laughs> he modified it and they brought more of a zone approach to it where you would see a defenseman stay in front of the net and protect that zone and not wander off. And at times, you know, under Jeremy Colleton, you would see two defensemen below the goal line. I mean, you can't score usually from below the goal line. And, uh, you know, those were, to me, that's been the biggest issue. So got cleaned up a little bit under, under Derek King, Uh, the next coach. And I, you know, Derek King is, is in the mix for that. I don't necessarily think they're going to go in, in, in that in that direction with Derek, but the next coach is going to have to pick a system that not only works, you know, philosophy wise for the franchise, but works with the personnel he has. Pat Boyle here on Sports Talk Chicago. Pat, do you think Derek King did enough to put himself in that conversation to become the permanent head coach? He did enough to put himself in the conversation, no question about it. He, you look at the circumstances that he took over and we touched on it earlier with how difficult things were with the uh the off-ice issues and uh, the report coming out and the start that they had one nine and two um you know when he took over Derek King said this is a fragile team he said when he got the call in Rockford that he was going to take over uh on a Sunday he watched the Friday night game and he saw a team that when they got down by a goal or two, the camera took a pan the bench. And he's like, I could see that that's a fragile team. So he was the right coach 
at that time for this team. He kind of had to pick these guys up from uh, uh, getting knocked down on the uh, on the schoolyard and uh, build their confidence up a little bit, try to get them to start having a little more fun. And that approach worked. You know, they they got they got a few wins under their belt for the better part of the season under uh, Derek King. Up until the trade deadline, they were a 500 to just slightly north of 500 team. Now, that would not have got you into the Stanley Cup playoffs, but that was more where we projected this team to be. Uh, Somewhere that uh, 10-9 seed and and possibly, if things broke their way, make a run at, at one of the two wild card spots. That obviously didn't pan out, certainly with that that horrendous start. So he's in the mix. But if you listen to Kyle Davidson and uh, Norm McIver and now Jeff Greenberg, that's the brain trust on the hockey ops side for the Blackhawks. You get the uh, understanding or belief that they want somebody that uh, that's going to grow with this team. They don't want uh, one coach to come in and, you know, take the beating in, in the so-called tank years or the real difficult years and then the hand the keys over to, uh, you know, a, a veteran coach to take them to the next level. I think they're looking more for the coach that, that has some development skills that can command a room. And, you know, that's something I think like that Colleton struggled in. I, I don't think he came in with enough cachet for a locker room that had at that time, you know, a few Hall of Famers in it. And the guys with a lot of Stanley Cup hardware, this next coach, now they're down to two. And we can discuss that a little bit further, the, the future of Kane and Taves. But the, the next coach that comes in needs to command respect in that room. His message needs to be understood by the players. And then they have to go out and, and implement that, that message. So I think they're looking for somebody maybe a little younger than Derek King and somebody that's going to grow much with this team um, as they try to take it, uh, you know, and, and reinvent themselves as a championship team. Is there anyone specific you have in mind right now? You know, I, I look around, I, I, I think they're going to go with the, like, like the Rod Brindamore type. I think they're going to go with a, somebody who has some, some experience but who is um, his personality fits the style of a play that they want. And, and I asked that directly to Norm McIver. I said, do you believe that coaches in the national hockey league, that their personality is, uh, is on display by their team on the ice? And he said, absolutely. More times than not uh, the personality of the coach is the way the team plays. So I think they're going to look at, at, at a coach, that, that has that approach that they want to see. And, and, you know, we hear the buzzwords that Kyle Davidson is looking for. You know, he wants this team to improve in the speed department, in the compete department. Too many times in the last five or six years, the Hawks have brought in players that are highly skilled but have zero compete level. And I can go down a laundry list, but we, we know those players and you see them, you know, where you see a flash of like, wow, that was a nice play. And then you don't see him for the rest of the game. And then you make the deal for him and you're like, well, a change of scenery. He was a he was a top 10 pick in <laughs> Buffalo, maybe a change of scenery here in Chicago 
Uh, that, you know, that maybe sort of worked out for Dylan Strome, but I can show you four or five examples where it didn't work out here. So I, I think this next coach, I, I don't think it's going to be a Barry Trotz. I, I really don't think you're going to see them go after somebody like that. Um, I think they're going to go after, you know, a coach with experience, more on the younger side, someone who's into development, someone who buys into analytics because this this new this team as it's it's currently comprised, its front office believes that the National Hockey League, John, is 10 to 12 years behind Major League Baseball. They think there's a quantum gap between the processes and the systems that are in place in the National Hockey League and those that are in place in other leagues. That's why they went after a guy like Jeff Greenberg. They're trying to you know, change this old school approach where you look around the National Hockey League and you see the Brian Burks, and the Jim Rutherfords and, and, you know, look, they've got great resumes, but do you think they're at the, the, uh, the cusp of, of analytics and trying to do things differently? I, I tend to believe that's not the case. I think the NHL is behind the times quite a bit in this area. That's why I think they recycle the Tortorella's and, and others, um, you know, over the years. And I think that that's something that the Blackhawks are trying to get away from. So this new coach has to also align with the, the new ideals and the new thoughts uh, of a franchise that thinks that they're cutting edge in this department. How do Kane and Tabes factor into these plans? Well, that's, that's to me, the biggest issue this off season, you've got Jonathan Taves, Patrick Kane, and Alex Dabrinkit all entering the final years of their deal. I think we can all admit that Alex Dabrinkit has shown that he's an elite player, elite goal scorer in this league uh, with another 40 point, 40 goal effort uh, in, in his arsenal and on a team that was offensively challenged. And when you're trying to defend the Blackhawks, you know, there's really only two guys you need to worry about. And that's Alex Dabrinkit and Patrick Kane. So to see Alex perform at that level, uh, that's a bright spot. He is, you know, you would want to keep him obviously long-term. What is his appetite to stay here? And I think a lot of that is attached to Patrick Kane. And my, my thought on, on this is people are saying to me, well, you know, Pat, how could Patrick Kane, how, how can you keep him here if you're truly in a rebuild? Well, I, the only way I can answer that is if I can say said player can be an important component to a championship team when they get back to that, then I can make a case that you hold on to him. I can make a case that age 30, he's not even, he'll be 34 in November, Patrick Kane will. I can make a case that this team is going to be competing for a cup in four years, say, maybe five. I think Patrick Kane's going to play till he's 40. His style of play, John, is not one that is, uh, is beating on his body because he goes to the corners and mixes it up. The, the rules have changed to help benefit a player like him. He's never been built on a speed game. He's been built on his hands and his passing and his accurate shot. So I couldn't, I, I, and the way he takes care of his body, it is from that Brady-esque camp 
uh, that, you know, we've seen now produce championships on the other side of 40. I think Patrick is that type of athlete. I think he's that type of star. So I can say you can keep him in the fold. And at the end of the day, you still have to sell tickets. I, I still feel when I turn on a Blackhawks game or go see them in person, he's still worth the price of admission, in my, in my opinion. I, I still think he is that talented. It, it's funny, John, watch the NHL draft this year or take a look at last year's or even the previous two. And I'm not kidding you. Over half of the draft candidates, when they're asked who is their hockey idol, they say Patrick Kane. They're still saying it in 2022. Usually the shelf life or, you know, you move on to, you know, the next superstar, you know, the Trevor's Egers is, and they, they're still talking about Patrick Kane. Uh, there's something to that. He, he's a magical player. We've been privileged to see it for 15 seasons here. So I would like to see him stay for many reasons. Some of those are selfish because, you know, these are going to be some lean times and I'd like some, <laughs> some positivity to talk about on that post game show every once in a while. Uh, but Jonathan Taze is probably a different story, John. I, you know, I think he says his best years are still in front of him. You know, the statistics don't line up with it. The eye test doesn't necessarily line up with it. John just turned 34. He got better as the season went on. I don't think when you take a year and a half off from any sport that you're going to come back at the level that you expect to be. I, I just you know, there's being in shape and then there's being in hockey shape. And I think that that's what Jonathan worked, tried to work through throughout this season. So he's a different case for me. Um, I don't know how much you could get for Jonathan Taves on the market right now. I still think he has a value to the team as far as when I look around that building, all the 19 and 88 jerseys. I mean, if those two players are gone, those jerseys and some are still going to be there. Those fans are still coming in. Um, that would be interesting to me to see, you know, how the fan base would, uh, would adapt to those two cornerstones, not being a part of it. So, you know, conversations I would have with those two are, Hey, look, this is the, I know. And, and look, every single one of them said, Hey, look at what New York has done. Look what the LA Kings have done. You know, you say it's going to take four to five years, but they turned it around quicker. Uh, those are some examples. Those those teams also have some unique circumstances that surround them and uh, have landed some generational players, including one Artemi Panarin that should never have gotten away from from the Blackhawks. So, you know, the players say, you, you know, the team says rebuild. We think we can expedite it. The team is saying like, well, that's what players say. We're going to be honest with them. We're going to tell them where we're at. And, you know, I think they're going to say, I think they're going to give Jonathan and Patrick the opportunity to decide if they want to be a part of this long term. But it's got to be on the, on the, on the team's terms. You know, it's going to be Alex Debrinkit that's going to be making around $10 million a year. I think Patrick is still going to command uh, somewhere between 8 and $9 million a year, uh, depending on how long the deal is. And then Jonathan is a different story. You know, he's going to be, you know, more of a third line center. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't do a very long term deal with, with Jonathan. I'd even let this season play out. Um, they hold the cards. They have the no movement clauses. So they 
don't have to, uh, you know, they're not going to be blindsided by any change. It's going to be their call this final year. I could see Patrick Kane playing out this final season and, you know, at the trade deadline, if, if, you know, he sees that this has just been an arduous rough season and at age 34, he wants another bite at the apple. I could see him saying, look, the New York Rangers, they, they want to make a deadline move. Uh, you could probably pick up this and this. You could you, you'll get something for Patrick Kane, whether it's a rental or a long-term deal. Uh, certainly going to get more if he's under contract. But I could see him saying, you know what? I, now that I've been in this rebuild mold for over a year now, um, maybe it's, it's, it's not my jam. I'd like to go somewhere else. And then he goes somewhere. And I'm just throwing out a team like the Rangers makes a run with them. And then it's question whether or not they can fit him under their salary cap going forward. More to come with Pep Boyle in just a moment. Stay tuned. This is Sports Talk Chicago. Pat Boyle still here on Sports Talk Chicago. Pat, a few more questions before we finish up. First off, Pat Bowley, what did you make of his retirement? Well, first of all, uh, we've been lucky in this town to have some incredible broadcasters over the years. And and if, you know, we play that game in sports radio every once in a while, the Mount Rushmore thing, to me, Pat Foley is on it here in Chicago. 39 seasons. Uh, I think it's parts of five decades that he was behind the mic, both as the radio and TV voice for the Blackhawks. John, rarely in this business do you, uh, you know, get to call the games of your hometown team. He literally, you know, went to Loyola, went to Michigan State. Uh, You know, his first job out of Michigan State was in Grand Rapids. His dad was part of a dealership on the North Shore. And uh, one of the Wirtz family members would get their car service there he has the cassette tape of Pat doing Grand Rapids games and says, give this kid a listen. The next thing you know, uh, Bill Wirtz's secretary is calling him. And the one thing I thought was interesting, you know, Pat said uh, when he was telling his buddies that he was up for this job back in 1979, he said, guys, I'm not only going to get this job, but I'm going to have this job for like 25 years. So he had that confidence, even at a young age. Uh, And then, oh, by the way, he surpassed those 25 years by quite a bit. Uh, To me, he's old school. I I love the fact that the ebb and flow of the game matched the energy level of Pat. If it was a slugfest and and just not much going on and, you know, a one-nothing game and uh, not a lot of scoring chances, You could just flip on the TV or radio and tell that from Pat's voice. But boy, oh boy, if it was an exciting game, if it was Taves for the game winner in St. Louis in the Stanley Cup playoffs, his anticipatory calls where he would, you'd see see Taves pick up the puck at center ice and by the blue line, Foley's like, here's Taves for the win. I mean, that stuff, like you're just, you know, like it lifts you out of your seat and it was just awesome. And to be, you know, partners with him in in a pre post uh, intermission role 
And, and to be able to see that firsthand for, for me now, the last, uh, you know, two decades has been incredible. So it was an amazing run. Uh, you know, I don't think we've heard the last of Pat. I don't know what capacity uh, we'll see him in next if he'll decide to do some things with the Blackhawks or if he decides to, you know, if, if somebody from TNT or whoever says, Hey, would you call X number of games for us? I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, if we saw him do that. I can tell you one thing, John, you will see him on a golf course near you. Uh, cause the man has earned some time away from the microphone. Uh, that's one thing he noticed this season that, he just didn't think he was built to keep doing 82 games. I don't know about that, but uh, I, I, uh, I I give him a toast. I thought it was a classy way to, you know, the the, the way the Blackhawks sent him off. I thought it was one of the better uh, pregame ceremonies and then kind of carrying it through the players on the ice, the Hawks win and the giveaway. Have you ever seen a giveaway at the United Center actually match uh, the, the, uh, the honoree more than, than a, than a vessel to toast Pat Foley. Like it was very apropos and uh, thought it was a pretty cool scene. So cheers to Pat Foley. We were lucky to hear him for 39 years. Hopefully it's not the last we've heard of him. And Pat, before we finish up today, last question, what was your favorite game on television as a kid? Wow. So, okay. You're going old school. Um, so it, it, <laughs> Back then, you had either Atari or Intellivision, okay? Those were the two competing uh, games. And I remember getting Intellivision. I remember playing it so much, the unit would heat up so much that, like, to the touch, it would burn your, your finger. Like, you could, <laughs> you could cook a steak on this thing when it was done. I don't remember too many of the games – I think Astro Smash might have been one that I played back in the day. So, yeah, I'll go with Astro Smash as my favorite in television game. Pat, thank you so much for joining me. Great interview, great insights on the Blackhawks, too. Best wishes for covering them in the future. Looking forward to the next time we chat as well. Take care, John. We'll see you later on in the summer. Great talk there with Pat Boyle. That'll do it for us today here on Sports Talk Chicago. Big thank you to Pat Boyle himself, Matt Dubiel, WCKG, Jim DeTalbin, Tomorrow Entertainment. Making this show a success. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports and on Facebook at John Zagluel. You can watch more of this show. Search up Sports Talk Chicago. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, SportsTalkChicago.com. Another great show comes to you tomorrow. Thank you so much for listening. Till then, stay safe. And so long, everyone. No! No! Where are the turtles?